This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, at the end of last week's show, I made a promise, so I have to deliver this week because um, occasionally I don't. When I think we're going to talk about something, you change me up with the chit-chat, but this time I'm going <laughs> to put my foot down. So we have a new soundtrack to the Taylor Stevens show. And we have we have been talking about the possibility of recording with different conditions for yes, under different circumstances. Six six months now. And you know, different ways of dealing with, with um uh being bandwidth starved or you know how we're just going to be able to to do all of this, including the days when we can even record. So yes. we've been kind of anxious about what's going to happen when this, uh, the wandering that you've been doing for the past several months comes to an end and you are at a place where you are now. And so last week I, I listened to the show when we're recording, I always have headphones on and I heard things I've never heard before. And <laughs> I called out one, the, the rooster crowing, but there was also, there was a situation and I think it will wind up getting cut out where it sounded like there was some really heavy breathing, but you said later that that was one of your dogs or the dog, like yeah. digging up the carpet, and then oh, she, she the little one she's and she just like like starts digging at it like scratch 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 and I was like oh god no go away stop it <laughs> and then there was that there was the rooster which we mentioned there were several of the rooster crows and. There were other sounds that I didn't really get that didn't sound like roosters, and it was a little bit more consistent. Um, <laughs> I, do you I know, what, I it know what it is? I suspect uh, it was probably a chicken singing the chicken song, which I, not all hens do this, but some hens, when they lay an egg, they get really loud about it. Okay. Like, look at me. I laid an egg. Everybody, hey, I laid an egg. I'm so proud of myself. I laid an egg. And, uh, there's where I'm sitting is really like it's a window that has a window that faces the front porch and there's these little tiny chickens they're called bantams that are just I guess they're like pets I don't know I they're almost all roosters there's a few hens left and um they like to habitate the front porch they hang around outside the windows and then um some of the hens are little wild childs they don't like to lay in the um in the where the big hen house, wherever that is. And so they like to come in the bushes around the front and they'll like lay their he their eggs there. So I suspect that like raucous announcement, chicken announcement was a hen going, I laid an egg, I laid an egg somewhere <laughs> off in the bushes. <laughs> well, that makes sense. So, you know, I, I say we just embrace all these new sounds and, and we can learn to appreciate them. You know, we've gone for 235 episodes before we got the first rooster crow. And who knows what we're going to get on this this new life that we're breathing into the Taylor Stevens show. 
Yeah, sorry, guys. This is my new recording location. So um, there's no way for me to make it stop. And I think <laughs> it's cool. No I like it. it. I like it. <laughs> you guys are probably like, I don't even notice it anymore. I, I, I'm except I, even at night. Sometimes I don't even notice it because, yes, roosters will crow at night, too. Um, you guys are probably going to get totally numb to it, too, after a while. You're like, <laughs> don't even hear it. All right, so let's get back to the Reggie material that you were working with last week. Uh, Taylor referred to it as my work in process. I always just think of it as as the Reggie material. So that's what we're working on. And we got about halfway through things when we hit the half-hour mark, so it was time to wrap it up. So uh, we will conclude, I suspect we're going to conclude with uh, this week's episode. Hopefully, fingers crossed. So... Going back to last week, I, for those who might just be tuning in for the first time, I really highly recommend that before continuing this episode... All right, let me just say, anyone, just... if anyone's tuning in for the very first time and heard us talking about rooster sounds in the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> they tuned out before they got to this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Anyway, go recap with the, with the prior weeks one because we're just kind of going to pick off pick up from there. Um, I I do want to say though we are working from a very small segment of of material, and when that happens, and I use a very small segment of material to go into this really big explanation of stuff, it can give the impression that there was something about that material specifically that was just so drastically needed this help, but it's not like that. It's just that I encounter things and I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is something we need to talk about, but then I can't ever just say, yeah, don't do this or do it this other way. I got to teach you why. And so that's what turns it into something big. It's not that the material itself was so bad that it needed all this correcting or whatever. And one of the so great, anyway. one of the great things about last week's show was, I mean, you were describing what was, what we what you felt like wasn't right with the material and since it was mine i'm listening and going yeah okay i get that i get that i get that and then you went off into an analogy of doing the same thing in character description and all of a sudden it was like an anvil going you know banging me on the head and the light the, the mixed metaphor city um <laughs> but a, the light bulb going off in my head like oh okay i get it now this so this sometimes the way you go at this to teach us, it, it, it will hit different people at different times. Yeah, and it's always a struggle for me to figure out how to explain it in a way that's easiest to apply straight across the board without it getting confusing. So thankfully, that helps in this situation. So last week, we covered two issues from the material. One was... Number one, when we have description, we need to know what exactly is being described. And that was because there was a little bit of confusion of to the meaning of words and where the body, the character's body was. So we need to just we need to know what he's at, where his body is and what he's actually describing, especially in cases when we have two words, the same word describing two separate things. So number two was visual and spatial description, objects and layout should always be introduced whenever a location is first shown through that character's eyes. And that's where the analogy of introducing spaces and places and things the same way we introduce characters 
came into play about how once you've described a character, you don't come back and then describe something else about that character and then something else about that character. You give the reader all the information they need to know upfront to form that image of the character in their minds, because what we're talking about with description is description. It's not history. It's not um, characterization. It's not interaction. It's actual physical description. That's what we're describing here. So you can still reference the description in other ways, but you're not giving new description because you've already given the reader whatever they need to know to paint that mental picture. So that's where we left off. And then, Steve, you had a question that we sort of kind of answered but didn't fully answer. Do you want to refresh us on what that was? Okay. So the the question was, it was sort of a statement. It started with a statement where I occasionally will feel compelled to put description in just because I feel like you have to break up different elements of, of a scene with, with description. And I'd, I'd read that somewhere or was taught that somewhere. So I felt like this was a point that needed some description. And I was actually pretty happy with the description because I thought it was pretty sparse. And it did what it needed to do in, a, in you know, not that many words. And, and then we could get back on with it. I'm obviously less happy with it now after, after hearing last week's show. But so my question was, what do we do when we feel this compulsion to add description? And is, is there really like some kind of a rule that every so often you just need to throw some description in just for good measure? So I don't know about the rule about every so often throwing it in. I haven't had a chance to think about that to give a proper answer. Um, I do want to say that in terms of the description itself, there wasn't anything wrong with it. So it's not the description. Like, remember, at the beginning of the first, the last week's, the first part of this episode, series, whatever, I said that if this had been the first time that Reggie had visited this place, then we would have been focusing on, you know, body placement, a little bit of character emotions of movement, so tweaked it a little bit, and then been done with it. But because Reggie had already been here before, that opened up a whole different discussion. So the description itself, be proud of it. It was great. That's not the issue. The issue really is about um, this being added on in, in terms of we've already been here before, mm-hmm. which, again, is, leads to your question of, well, when do we, you know, put – is there a place where we're supposed to just throw something in there? So that, that leads us – it's going to be a little bit before we finally get to the answer answer of your question, but it leads us to number three on this, and that is if description – cannot serve its ultimate purpose, it must serve a different purpose in order to belong there. So we know from previous discussions that the ultimate purpose of description is to provide context and environment so characters aren't forced to perform on an empty barren stage. And that full discussion is found, I believe, in episode 206. So If we've already been to a place with that character and we've already seen the setting, which means we've already provided description that gave us a sense of place and thus our character is no longer in a spatial void, what purpose does this added description serve? It can't serve its ultimate purpose. That's already been done. Checked off the list, right? So if it can't serve the ultimate purpose of providing that context and environment to give the setting its setting, What? why? Why is it here? For the 
for this description to belong, it has to be more than repetition. It can't just be repeating what we already know. It can't be thriller. It can't just be throwaway, like there for the sake of being there, because that's going to be grit or noise. It has to have its own purpose. So the easiest, ultimate, the easiest way to resolve all of that in this, this little tiny segment is just to delete the description and count it as unnecessary, doesn't need to be there, doesn't serve its own purpose, it's gone. But what if we didn't want to delete it? What if we didn't want to move it? What if we needed it here? What if there's something in this description that's foreshadowing something else? And so we need to keep it right here where it is so that the details would be fresh in the reader's minds. What do we do? In order for that description to belong, we have to give it its purpose. And there's a few ways to do that. We know from a previous discussion that one of the best ways to offer description is through character in motion. That means to describe the elements or have them show up on the page, the character's actions. Now, in preparing this episode, I threw together a paragraph. It is not anything from this Reggie material because I felt like I could do it easier if I wasn't showing you how it had to be done right and I could just throw together garbage on the page. So that's what I did. And I want to show you on the fly what character, what showing description through character in motion looks like. We're going to cold open. We don't know anything about the character. We don't know anything about the setting. We don't know anything. The table was the first thing to catch his eye when he entered the room, the way it had been pushed up close against the wall. He walked the length of it, brushing his hands along the embroidered runner that ran from end to end, and then he paused and studied the floor. The parquet tiles had been scratched, like someone had moved the table in a hurry. He knelt by the nearest gash, traced the groove, and pulled his finger away, slightly wet and slightly brown. Someone had since gone through the trouble of trying to mask those scratches by inking them in. Just one paragraph, okay? That's it. In that paragraph, there is not one instance of actual description. By actual description, I mean the table was over by the wall, the floor was wood. We're not describing anything just in isolation. When this character walks into the room, we have no idea what's in it. We are shown those details as the character encounters them. This is an example of character fulfilling the ultimate purpose, which is the character is not forced to perform on an empty stage through character in motion. And it's also an example of using inner dialogue to guide the movement because we are inside his head. Everything is seen through his eyes as he's seeing it. So if we wanted to keep this description, this Reggie description, as it was, character in motion is one way to do it. Because at that point, the character is actually interacting with the physical environment, and it doesn't feel like we're just being handed um, just this information of what a thing looks like where we've already been there and done that and seen that. So here's a little side note, though, about that little paragraph that I threw together. And that's that if we strip it of all the character in motion and we strip it of all the inner dialogue, here's what we get. The table had been pushed up close to the wall. I had, you know, the table in brackets because 
it was it, it just I'm having to reword it slightly to to make this work. The table in brackets, it had an embroidered runner, embroidered runner that ran from end to end. The floor was parquet tiles and the parquet tiles were scratched. So without movement, without any inner dialogue, what we get is a laundry list of detail. And if you look at the original text from this Reggie material, we see that we also get a laundry list of description, the usual office furniture, a single picture on the wall, right? And sometimes laundry list description is just the fastest, easiest way to get it done. And there's nothing wrong with that. I use it all the time. But because it doesn't allow for character in motion, and it doesn't allow for that inner reflection, that inner dialogue, there's only one time and one place when you get to use it. And that's the first time the character or the setting or the thing is being introduced. So when you're thinking about, oh, I'm, I feel like I need to add some description here, a question to ask yourself is, A, is this the first time that this character has been here with, with the audience? Yes? Okay, fine. Proceed accordingly. No. What is the purpose of this description? Does it have its own purpose? Is it, is it really critical to the story, to the plot line, to whatever? No. Then we need to give it purpose. Okay. How am I going to give this purpose? I can give it purpose through character emotion by showing it as the character interacts with the environment, or here's another way, okay? We also know from previous discussions that we go deeper and we give a thing or a person or whatever purpose by giving it emotional weight. And we know that we create that emotional weight by giving that situation or that thing meaning to the character. And we know that we create that meaning by getting close up inside the character's head. So all those episodes that I listed up there, that's where this is coming from. This is, I'm not just throwing this at you going, we know this. And you're like, wait, how do we know this? Those episodes, we've just, we've talked about this before. And this is an example of it, right? So we, we give the situation or the thing meaning by getting inside the character's heads that we're able to experience how that situation or that thing or whatever makes the character think and feel. That is how you can give something that doesn't have purpose, you've now given it its purpose, right? So if we wanted to keep this description, this Reggie material, and we didn't want to restructure the scene by using character emotion to show detail, we could give that description its own purpose by slowing the segment down, providing space for the character to reflect on what's being introduced, which is when you ask yourself, is this detail that important? Because there's a trade-off involved. Every time you slow a scene down to give it more weight or give it more meaning, it has the potential to completely derail. Derail your flow, take you in a different direction. And to have the skill to deliberately derail a scene, expand it, then get the whole thing turned back in the direction it's supposed to go, that takes a level of craft and skill. And that's something that you really can only learn by experience. And that's a whole other discussion. So right now in this particular context, that detail, we already know because Steve told us that he was putting in there because he felt he needed something to be there. It wasn't because it had a specific purpose. It wasn't trying to show us something about the character specifically. It was there because it, he felt something needed to be there. So for that type of description, 
given how much work it is to restructure it, to put character in motion, or to give it emotional weight that has the potential to totally take the scene in a different direction, you got to ask yourself, does this description really matter? And if it doesn't, then the easiest thing to do is delete it. But if you need it there for foreshadowing or for some other reason, then you've got to ask yourself what that reason is and make sure that it's clearly defined in the text. Because if you revisit a location or a setting, you add description, detail, and you haven't given that detail a purpose for being there, then everything you've just written is essentially filler. It's throwaway detail, noise to the reader, they skip it, they get frustrated, they're confused, they're having to redo images in their head, they're having to go, wait, haven't I already been here before? Why am I being told this? And that leads us to the second part of this discussion. Because I told you that we had more, it was going to take us in more than one direction, and here's number four. Sometimes filler and throwaway detail becomes worse than just being filler and throwaway detail. Now, I have to reiterate again that just because I'm spending all these words talking about this little segment doesn't mean this segment was so worthy of all of these words in, in, in the negative sense. It just means that it's an opening to talk about these things, discuss things that we haven't talked about before. So for the most part, filler and throwaway detail is innocuous. It's grit. That's all it is. It can slow your pacing, dilute the power of your language that you're using, your words. It clutters your prose. And it can give your writing this overall feel of being, you know, maybe unfinished, amateurish, first draft material, whatever. It's not the end of the world. I mean, it's not ideal, but it's not actively harming you. It's more like a, a passive harm, where you want to clean it up because it's going to be stronger without it, right? But sometimes, not often, but sometimes, filler and throwaway detail can mutate into something that is actively working against you, where it's chewing up pages of character development, and it can take you in places you don't really want to go. You don't even realize that it's taking you there. And there's a really small example of that in this segment, and we find it in this description about the photo on the wall, where it says, me and 20 of the best men in the world taken outside a dusty camp in Afghanistan. Now, again, the issue is not with the description itself. There is nothing wrong with that description. The description of the photo is fine. The issue is we're dealing with filler and throwaway. And this is an example of a throwaway line or filler that becomes more than just grit. It's an example of something that is actually actively damaging the likability of the character who's throwing it away, and here's why. We know from context that Reggie was in the military before returning home, and he's given us glimpses of that time in the military, but they're really just glimpses. And we know that that era plays a role in his skill set. We know it plays a role in his thinking, but we don't spend a lot of time dwelling on it because that's not this type of book, right? The book is not about Reggie's time in the military. But that photo of me and 20 of the best men in the world taken outside a dusty camp in Afghanistan, it does represent a critical period of his life. I mean, 
It's blood, sweat, tears, loneliness, sacrifice, duty to country, done for the ones you love. It's pain. It's honor. It's so many things wrapped up in one. And it's just here taking up space and it's tossed out with the same irreverence as pointing out the usual office furniture. So because Reggie is the one offering this detail, it's as if Reggie himself is the one throwing it away, meaning he himself is treating that photo and what it represents as if it means nothing to him. And that is the exact opposite of who Reggie is, and that's the exact opposite of what's intended. And if you really think about it logically, like the fact that that photo is the only thing other than sparse furniture in the room, that should imply that the photo has meaning to him or that it, it he cares or that it represents that time of his life, even if we don't dwell on it a lot in the story. But going back to what makes this a throwaway line, Reggie never pauses, he never reflects, he never has any feeling, he doesn't have anything about it. So what could have been a perfect opening for character development, depth, anything, it becomes this case of, there's my bare office, there's my random furniture, there's me and 20 of the best men in the world taken outside dusty camp in Afghanistan, there's my computer, and oh, here we are, the email we've been waiting for, right? So it, it gives this implicit message to the reader that this thing, this this part of his life, all these years that he spent in the military, isn't something anyone has to really care about. Now, that's, to be clear, this is not done on a logical level. Like, when we read, it engages our emotions, right? Our logic goes out the window for, for a lot of us. I mean, some of us get really critical and we're like, that's impossible, that would never happen, we can't extent, extent no. I can't do words today, but we can't suspend our, you know, disbelief or whatever. But for the most part, reading is a very emotional thing. That's why we read. It's to read. It's to feel. So when you hit something like this as a reader, you don't stop and think, oh, Reggie is like completely dismissive and blah, blah, blah. None of that. It just hits you in your gut. This doesn't feel right. And it makes you go Ugh, about that character like. This this doesn't mean anything to him. Why is he so heartless? So returning to this theme that I brought up to the point of annoyance, every scene has to serve a purpose. Every description has to serve a purpose. And the reading brain instinctively expects that if it's being shown something, that thing has to have meaning. Like we don't just put random meaningless things on the page. It, it It's there for a reason. It's like that gun on the mantle anal analogy that if you put the gun on the mantle at the beginning of the story, you better use it at some point because the reading brain doesn't forget that gun on the mantle, even if you've, as the author, have forgotten about it and you've dropped that thread. So every, everything in a story is a thread. It all ties together. It all has meaning. And the reading brain instinctively knows that. And so in that sense, the thing and the meaning, it's all part of the whole. That's what storytelling is. It's part of this. The craft is, is weaving all of these elements together. And if you fail to establish that connection or the meaning organically through your narrative, then that void, in that void of giving it meaning, the lack of meaning itself becomes its own meaning. 
So in most cases, this, this absence of meaning, absence of purpose, whatever we want to call it, it becomes nothing more than grit. But when it's something like this, like a photo representing all these things, the, the, it would be like the equivalent of, and there's my first child. Oh, look, here's the thing I was, or there's my wedding photo, whatever. Here's my email. Just this, these, we have these episodes in our lives. They're monumental moments, right? Um, 10 years that you spent developing a prototype um, with a, a group of people who became extended family just wiped away with the wave of the hand, right? So when we have those types of events, marriage, birthing a child, graduations, anniversaries, time of service, uh, a decade spent at, at, with working with the same team of people. I mean, there's so many ways, so many things we can add to that. It's just, it's something that has meaning in our lives, right? When, when that type of thing is prevented in sort, presented in sort of a throwaway context, that absence of meaning becomes its own meaning type thing. It casts this pall of sort of emotional flatness or indifference or callousness over the character because the character is the one who's doing that dismissing thing. And that's the exact opposite of what you're actually into. Unless you really have a jerk of a character, which Reggie is not. Okay, then you can apply that. If you're looking for a way to show that somebody is a jerk, there you go. There's a technique. <laughs> have them completely dismiss something that would have meaning to someone else. Now, again, this was not intentional. It was not deliberate. It came about because... We are trying, oh, we need to have some kind of um, description here. And, um, and, and it adds on. In, in that frame of mind, yes, it adds on. It gives meaning. But as a whole, looking at the scene from a whole, it's actually effectively doing the opposite of what the intent is. So my own takeaway from this would be number five. Like, as I've written all of this, because I learn as I'm doing this as well. Number five, if we can't give a spatial or visual element of a character's life or history, the emotional weight or the meaning that it deserves, we're better off not including it at all because it actually re actively works in the opposite direction of what we're trying to go. It's worse than just passive grit. It is detrimental to our character and establishing that connection with the reader. So that kind of everything that I had on that segment. And I know it was a lot. So I'm going to relist those five things here. And the first is when we have description, we need to know what exactly is being described. Number two, visual and spatial description, which is objects and layout, should always be introduced whenever a location is first shown through that character's eyes. And I say that character because if it's a different character, then we know that we have some wiggle room. Three, if description cannot serve its ultimate purpose, it must serve a different purpose in order to belong. And the ultimate purpose is to provide that uh, context so that the character isn't forced to perform in a spatial void. Number four, sometimes filler and throwaway detail becomes worse than just filler and throwaway detail. And number five, if we can't give a visual or spatial element of a character's life or history the emotional weight or meaning it deserves, we're better off not including it at all. Now, if I was in a hurry, which I am, and I wanted to do a line edit 
to bypass all of these issues. Here's how those paragraphs would read minus line editing for word repetition. I'm just line editing for content at this point. The office was directly across the street from Spice, up three flights of dark stairs to the third floor patio that served as the hallway for the several businesses that shared the space. I unlocked the door, flipped on the lights, booted the computer, and checked email. There she was in my inbox, Cassandra Pennington. She'd sent half dozen high-resolution pictures of the card, including three of the back. If I wanted to keep the original material and not get rid of the detail, I guess it would probably take me at least several hours to accommodate all of these issues in a way that felt right, which is why it takes me so darn long to finish book. And it's also why we don't have that version here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That was really good. I will say that I it was intentional to say that the only that it was the uh, the only picture in the room, and I thought that that gave it enough weight, but it obviously didn't. If this had not been the first time, if this had been the first time he'd been visiting this space, if he had paused to reflect, just anything like you know that, and it reminded every time I saw it, it reminded me of X. Any just small of it, any of that, it would not have been, it would not feel like a throwaway. So the issue here again is not with the description and I it, what you were go, where you were going with. Like I said, it 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 gave it weight or would have given it weight if the context, if the circumstances had been different. But once we move into this is the second time we visited the place, then it automatically turns all that material into throwaway which then completely alters any intent because the brain interprets it completely differently. Okay. Well, this has been, this has been fantastic. So uh, thank you. And I, I don't know if I'm getting used to the farm sounds, but I heard very little this time. <laughs> there weren't as many this time. <laughs> but don't let that set your expectations. Every week's going to be a surprise. So one, one of these times we need to record at like daybreak. Because I want to hear what the farm's like at daybreak when everything's coming to life. Although daybreak is when you in. go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to do better. But yeah, I'm still dead to the world at daybreak. But it is really beautiful outside at that time of night, that time of day. But I also think it's just stunning at three o'clock in the morning when you're walking through the dark and it's quiet and you don't even hear the city noises. And it's just, it's pretty amazing. I bet it would be great to look up in the sky and actually see all the stars. I can't quite get there yet. I mean, there's still light pollution. It's not that far away from everything, but you definitely see a whole lot more of them than you do in suburbia. You know what? This is totally separate. We'll record it now. I don't know if it'll show up here or not. The the best, most brightest star sky I've ever seen in my entire life, which will never be able to be replicated, was when I was stranded on the side of the Nairobi-Mombasa road in the middle of the night, and there wasn't light for miles around. Well, we're definitely leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, I was actually going to share a story about 
doing something to, to be able to see the stars. And I'm just, I'm so humbled by what you just said that I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and say thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, we will be back in your ear again next Tuesday. See you guys next week.